0: This is the Key to Authority Podcast, episode number 16. Welcome to the Key to Authority Podcast, where it is all about helping you
1: unlock the secrets of becoming the go-to expert in your industry. And here is your host, Janish Pandya.
0: Today we are going to talk about a really critical subject in both business and personal life, and that is money. Today's interview is filled with practical tips and strategies when it comes to reschooling the money mind. Our special guest is a self-made multimillionaire, an author, a mentor, and an entrepreneur who lives for sharing his knowledge. He is none other than Paul Council. For the past 20 years, through various entrepreneur programs, Paul has been mentoring business owners and emerging entrepreneurs in how to build successful offline and online businesses from the ground up. Since we have a lot to cover, we'll jump right straight up in the interview, and here is Paul. Hey Paul, welcome to the Key to Authority podcast. Blur mentioned to connect with you, and we had a chat, quick chat over the phone, and loved what you do in terms of the space of money and the mindset around it. So really wanted to ask some questions around it and get you on the show, so thanks for coming along.
1: It's my pleasure, and thanks for the invite. So, Paul,
0: how did you get started, and why in that particular field of money side of things?
1: That's a kind of sort of an interesting question, but um, I guess I got started, you know, just the same way that many people get started, and they, they get a point, you know, they reach a point in their life where you know, enough's enough, you know, whatever they're doing is not working. And uh, they finally get to a point where, well, hang on, you know, there's no need to repeat all that for the next decade or so. So that's the point I got to in um, 1994. And in uh, up until that time, up until 1994, I'd been a potter. Okay. And I had um, exhibited my works all around um, the country. I was exhibiting international, internationally. I was um, the first person in Australia to ever receive a a doctorate in um, my area of practice. And so, you know, here I was, 40 years old, and you, and you think that, you know, um, everything is going along really, really well. And I had a, um, a an invitation for a major exhibition in Perth in, in um, uh, February of 94, but I got asked to do that exhibition in, in uh, 92. So it took me two years' worth of really dedicated and focused work to produce uh, a body of work that I could exhibit in the Festival of Perth um, uh, in 1994. And, uh, you know, the, the subject of my work was uh, something that was very dear to, um, you know, somebody like Janet Holmes Court, And so she graciously accepted the invitation to open the show. And, and the opening went really, really well. And, you know, there was lots and lots of people there. But uh, to get to the end of the story, 1994, we were kind of sort of, you know, just coming out of that recession that our famous treasurer said that we had to have. And by the end of the exhibition, I'd only sold $4,500 worth of um, work, you know, and not even some of the major galleries around town had enough uh, budget to actually purchase some work. So of that uh, $4,500, a third of that had to go to the gallery and commission, a third of that had to go to the tax man, and I was left with... Uh, literally $1,500 in my hand for two years' solid work. Now, not only didn't that cover the cost of living, it didn't even cover the cost of clay that I'd actually used to prepare the body of work. And so that was my really low point. And I said, look, you know, enough's enough. And I decided I was going to really go out there and become a serious student of the way that money is made in our society. And, you know, after I decided to pursue that direction, Starting from absolute dead flat broke, um, I made my first million dollars in just over uh, just or just under four years, three point eight years, and since then have gone on to uh, build some you know some quite remarkable freedom with that wealth. Uh,
0: and that's really great story because uh, I love where you went because you were going well and that two years of your dedication and leading to something where you didn't even earn any profits per se would have been really challenging and would have pushed you to create what you've done. So, wow, I, I just can't imagine going through something like that.
1: You know, and you speak about the two years with the dedicated, and, you know, being a potter is really back-breaking work, as any as any potter will, will um, tell you. But, you know, the real sort of heartbreak is the 13 and the 14 years that, I had to put into my craft in order to build up the skills where I could actually make such a body of work in two years. So there's a long time getting to the point of zero.
0: Yeah, and I think everyone can relate to that where they've spent uh, their good portion of life dedicated towards one skill or one career and then at the end realising that it might not have been the best, time or something or
1: look um yes and and uh, you know that's a really good point to um to tease out i totally agree with that
0: comes to that i guess uh in terms of the money mindset aspect where i guess you had to develop from your experience from that so you had to i guess retrain or we call it re or you can call it reschooling so what is that key to reschooling the money mind
1: Uh, i think there's a number of are keys to it um, you know the first thing that I think is really important to recognize is that uh, most people who are sort of starting out wanting to create some sort of uh, financial independence some sort of financial freedom for themselves they tend to think of themselves as having a problem with money you know that the problem with money is I don't have enough of it etc 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 and you know, as a result of that, they go along and, and try and do some seminars, or you know, buy some online products, and and or you know, read a read a dozen books or so, thinking that that's actually the you know the the best place to start. But in actual fact, it's not. And I think it really is important to understand that by and large, most people have an absolutely perfect relationship with money. But the problem is, it's perfect for the people who gave you that relationship or conditioned that relationship of money into you, it's imperfect for you, but it's perfect for the system. And unless you can start from that that point of view, then you will always be subject to that system's perfection of the way that money moves um, not only around the system, but through you and back around the system. And that is something that um, you know, I think that is really, really important to understand is that right now you have a perfect relationship to money, according to the way that the social engineers want you to have. And unless that's understood, then that foundation is always in place, and it doesn't matter how many courses or seminars or books you read, that that perfect relationship with money is not going to change. And in terms
0: of that relationship, you mentioned that the person who gave you that relationship that's perfect for them. So how do you figure out what's perfect for you then?
1: Well, I mean, you've got to use the law of contrast here. If you actually understand how, you know, the social engineers have conditioned the relationship to money into you for the past, you know, 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years, You've got to understand how that takes place and why it continues to take place. And if you think about um just even the basics of schooling, um and this is not an attack on schooling, by the way, or anything like that, but just the basis of schooling is it teaches us the fundamentals of our language and the fundamentals of our um numeric system and the fundamentals of our culture. Part of that fundamental um, teaching is that the way that you get money in this life is that you go out and you get a job. And so basically we spend 12 years at, um, you know, um, six years at primary and then we go to secondary school and then we go on to university. And it doesn't actually matter, uh, you know, what university course we do or, or whether we graduate um, you know, from high school. The answer is still the same for most people. It's go out there and get a job. And for some people, it's just go out there and get a better job. But that's the only way that we're actually conditioned into making money, that we have to go out and exchange our time and labor for it. And unless that conditioning changes, then you're always going to be in a position where you exchange your time and labor for it. It doesn't matter what the activity is or the quality of the activity. But then there's a second process that is socialized and conditioned into people and that is that once you've actually earned money, the only way that you can get some sort of sense of reward for exchanging your time and money, for uh, time and labor for money, is to go out and spend that money that you've just earned. And so you're really conditioned, or the or the system really conditions you to spend. As soon as you earn, you've got to go in and spend. And, and there are so many uh, environments around us, our peer groups, uh, the math marketing group, uh, you know, everything that's commercialized is all directed towards spending the money that you've just earned as a way of rewarding yourself. And then about 30 years ago, you know, um, uh, we, we got the idea that, look, you know, look, if you spent the money and you don't have any left, then you've got to wait for the next pay period in order to get some more money to go and spend. Well, you know, people, the social engineers or the profit makers or the captains of profit came up with the idea that, Hang on, but we can extend you credit via a piece of plastic, <laughs> and you know that was the introduction of the the credit card. Now, you know credit card spending money on credit card is spending money you have yet to earn, so it's spending future money, and it's debt. And most people don't look at it as debt, or spending future money, or trading future time and labor for money that you haven't actually earned. And so there's three very very powerful mindsets that then create which is earn spend and borrow earn, spend and borrow and then people over their lifestyle get get absolutely tied into you know almost like concrete shoes into the conditioned mindsets around earn spend and borrow and that is the very very thing and that 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 forms the basis of the perfect relationship with money and it's that relationship it's that is those cycles, endless cycles of end, spend, and, and, and borrow that actually prevent people from becoming financially free or financially independent.
0: And in terms of, well, it's just opening my mind in that sense, like, because this happens to every single person from the day they're born, I guess, that that's put in their heads, like, this is what you've got to do, this is how it, the whole world works. And when you put it like simply, there's three things where earning while jobs and then spending it and then borrowing it just opens up a whole different let's say i guess view to it so how what is a mindset around it that should be approached or how should money be looked at in terms of to either get more of it or to have a better relationship in your own sense apart from so forgetting about this kind of a old-school mindset?
1: Well, I think we've got to look at the, um, you know, often often the giveaway is in the language that you use. And, um, you know, mindset is a word that is often bandied around, you know, change your mindset, change your mindset, change your mindset. But if you really start to look at, at that word and the subconscious words or the subconscious language you're sending to your um your subconscious mind. If you if you look at the word mind, you know mind is the activity of brain. So, you know, brain is the organ and, and mind is 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 the activity of that organ. Yep. And so okay, so we've got this thing, we've got this activity going on, and then we've got the word set. And the word set literally means to you know, have a fixed position. And so we've got the activity of the brain that's cycling through earn, spend and borrow as a fixed position. And unless that whole foundation arrangement changes, you could, you just continue with your perfect relationship with money. And it doesn't matter what activity you take on board. You know, if you look at the statistics, you know, probably 90 90%, 90% plus of businesses fail. 90% plus of people retire broke, 90% plus of traders lose money, 90% plus of, of um, you know, currency traders lose money. It, it doesn't matter the, the activity or the, the money making or the money potential activity, you know, 90% of gamblers. It really doesn't matter because there is this set mind, you know, that if you just take the word and, and you know, change set and mind around, it's a really a description of what goes on. And that forms a, a, a neuro blueprint or a, or a neuro model, uh, a model of pathways, neuro pathways in your mind that are actually fixed. And the older you get, the more fixed it becomes. Now we, you know, know that the mind is um, is plastic, or the brain is plastic. So neuroplasticity, um, you can actually change the structure of your brain, but with a with a mindset you can't because it's it's a set mind. So you're using the same model over and over and over again and so that's why mindset is for my um you know thinking is is you know probably one of the worst things that you, worst words you can use in terms of wanting to change and yet everybody promotes it um but it's also for my uh way of thinking the absolute worst place you can actually start so so what do we want if we just think about well okay what would, would we prefer instead of a mindset well if we understand that the, the brain is has neuroplasticity. You can actually change the structure of it. But, but in order to do that, we've got to practice something over and over again. So we don't want to do that with a set mind because what we do with a set mind is just practice the old thing over and over again, and they're called habits. So what we want to start thinking about or, or you know, picking uh, words to use um, So that it sort of connotes something into our uh, subconscious mind is the word flexibility. And so if we start saying mind flex instead of mindset, then we're telling ourselves that there is flexibility there and I can actually rebuild these pathways. We, we, you know, we have a a money, uh, a money set in our mind. We can actually rebuild those pathways to start um, producing completely different results. And just that the only thing that that takes is practice, 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 practice. Repetitious practice over time will get anybody from point A to point B. If you fail to do the repetition, then the mindset just enhances and entrenches itself, and so that mind flex doesn't actually work. Wow. <laughs> uh, so, in terms of flexing your mind, so where does so what can our
0: listener do to start? Uh, developing that habit of flexing that mind to get that built up and then getting that neuroplasticity started because obviously this is years in terms of the schooling of the mind that has been earned, spend and borrowed. So obviously it's going to take time and effort to get that away and to put in a different kind of a mind flex aspect to it.
1: Yeah, and look, that's all it does take is, 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 um, you know, time and effort. Um, it doesn't take any, any great, um, uh, you know, it doesn't take any great investment of, uh, things that people simply don't have access to. Um, you know, it, it just takes time and effort. Now, you know, if you've got support there, then that time and effort is more focused. If you don't have support, then, the time and effort the individual puts in tends to be, um, you know, distracted in terms of uh, any number of other um, uh, distractions vying for their attention. And so that, you know, every time you're distracted from that flexibility, that flexibility obviously, um, you know, doesn't happen. But we've got to start by rebuilding our um, money foundations. And in order to start rebuilding your money foundations, you've got to know how those money foundations were actually put in place in the first. Um, instance, and so we can go back and start learning about uh, just even in the last hundred years how how keen and how uh, insidious the social engineers were uh, when it actually came to um, money. And you know, there's some very good um, videos around this and very good uh, information around. But just to give you a short thumbnail of um, what was going on in in the early um, 1900s. Uh, Sigmund Freud was developing his theories about the, the development of, of human beings and, and about the development of the human psyche. And he had a cousin named um, Edward Bernays. And Edward Bernays in the 1920s started to uh, get a hold of um, his uncle's um, theories and start to use them in a way that could benefit the social engineers, in a way that could benefit um, the, the owners of capital to basically entrench people or condition people or imprinting people certain behaviors when it came to money. Now, if you read the story of Edward Bernays and, and what he did, he wrote the book Propaganda that um, is still being used today. Um, but he really did shape the social consciousness and the social mind when it actually came to spending money. And, and he was responsible for getting more people to spend more money. He was responsible for getting women uh, to smoke cigarettes, for example. He was responsible for the promotion of um, bacon and eggs for breakfast. He was responsible for putting fluoride in water. He was responsible for, um, you know, uh, department stores. He was responsible for uh, the creation of catwalks and fashion parades. He was, he was so responsible for shifting people's consciousness to, from spending on a needs basis. You know, I have a hole in the bottom of my shoe, so I need to go and buy a pair of shoes to. Spending on a social consciousness basis or a social anxiety basis or or a social desire basis, I need ten pairs of shoes because what will what will they what will people in my social structure think of me if I keep turning up to this um uh you know work or if I keep turning up to these social engagements with the same pair of shoes? And so he shifted the social consciousness of spending from needs based to desire based and then really enhanced it with some strong um, uh, you, you know, literally, if you were in a, another dimension, you would, you would actually call it brainwashing. Now, <laughs> if you, if you don't understand how those structures are still going on in our society today and how we are still manipulated by mass media, by the social consciousness, by the social engineers who, who want people to never be able to get off their work stress, not enough time, not enough money treadmill by locking themselves into those earn, spend and borrow. And, you know, we talk about servitude and incarceration. You know, we don't need chains anymore because we voluntarily enslave ourselves, and we do that via taking on debt. And once we've got debt, then we can't, most people can't um, break out of the habit of earn, spend, and borrow lifestyles, and so they'll go to their grave, never experiencing the freedom that is always being held out as possible for them, but they don't change. And so the first thing is we've got to start looking at how that social engineering came about and how it's, it's propagated and fertilized today more than it ever was in the 50s and the 60s. And, and unless we get an understanding of that, then it's going to be very difficult to start to change the foundations. Because again, without anybody guiding you as an individual or as an organization or, or as a business person or whoever you want, then, you know, often we're just going to fall back into our old default uh, patterns because uh, you know those those um, those models are so fixed in the mind and the language that we use continues to fix those models in the mind simply because we don't we're not we, you know we don't have the habit of questioning even you know the fundamental language of of words like mindset and, and words like credit and debt you know um, you know there's been a, a big sort of shift between. Um, you know credit is something that you had rather than you know credit in real life is something that you owe um so that you know the the psychological switch between debt and credit has been shifted around so that you see credit as being good and debt as being bad um, <laughs> but you know there's real there's some 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 wonderful uh, well, we could talk too long on this
0: (laughs) it's it's just amazing because to me it's like just having this even with times running like this like quickly but i've learned so much in this last 20 minutes or so that i can't even believe in terms of the uh not the mindset but the mind flex aspect of it that how sigmund freud is responsible for all this i had no idea and i'm probably going to check out his book propaganda as well Really appreciate it. We've Where could our listeners get in touch with you? What's your website or do you hang around social media and stuff?
1: Um, they can, um, certainly I'm on Facebook. Um, I also have a, um, a, um, a closed group on, um, Google plus. Um, but you know, my personal Facebook page is uh, something that reply apply to. I'm on a, a number of different groups. Um, and if they want to start looking at some of the videos that um, I have made with regards to how people's, uh, money habits have been shaped by very, very powerful conditioning. Um, they can go to moneymasterymentor.com and, and uh, there's a, there's a free report there about, uh, you know, the 10 questions that I'm often asked about, you know, how do you actually go from break to being a millionaire? Um, and if they want to read that, um, there's also some videos there on, um, you know, there's three very, very strong power. Rigid uh, psychological tools that shape the money mind and you know, once once people are aware of that and once people can start to see it, you know, in and around them every single day, that's when they can start taking the uh, most positive steps to rebuilding those foundations. And unless those foundations are rebuilt, it doesn't matter what you try and do on top of them. Uh, eventually, it will crumble and you'll lose money. And the worst thing about um, in losing money is not the money itself, but the worst thing is that you lose time when you lose money and it's time that you simply can't get back again. And so I've been mentoring people now for the last 16 years in how to rebuild their money foundations and, and how to make sure they don't lose any more money and lose any more time.
0: Thanks a lot, Paul, for joining us. I really appreciate you sparing your time, and we'll catch up again.
1: It's my pleasure, and thank you.
0: Hope you enjoyed listening to Paul's insights on reschooling the money mind and learn a few tips and strategies along the way. Today's action for you is to start learning about your money foundations to help you flex your mind and reschool it for the better. To get all the details and links talked about in today's show, go to keytoauthority.com EP016 for the show notes. And if you have any questions, make sure you leave a comment. Thank you, and see you next time.
1: Thank you so much for listening to the Key to Authority podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and share at www.keytoauthority.com.
0: We'll see you next time.